listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This is now the fourth Sunday in Eastertide. Today often called Good Shepherd Sunday, because the lectionary has us reading texts dealing with imagery of sheep and of shepherds. For the past three Sundays, it's been Resurrection Gospels. Now the focus shifts to say something about the nature and the character of this risen Lord. He is a shepherding Lord, the Good Shepherd, as Jesus says a little earlier in John 10, the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. It isn't new, this language of shepherding, nor is it uniquely Jewish. Throughout the ancient Near East, kings were often described as shepherds of their nations. In Homer's Iliad, there are more than a dozen references to a king being shepherd of the people. It is, though, often a rather idealized image of a rather noble shepherd. As kingship in the ancient world became increasingly centered in the cities, it's hard to imagine that any of those kings actually had anything to do with a real flock of sheep, other than wearing the wool that was shorn from them or dining on a roast leg of lamb. That's as close as they probably got. The actual life of a shepherd was hard going because sheep are not particularly easy or intelligent creatures. It was also a a socially marginal role in that herding was done out on the land, far from the city's seats of power and privilege. So it's interesting that part of the story of David Israel's greatest and most beloved king. Part of his story is that he was actually a shepherd boy when Samuel first identified him as the one whom God was calling. David actually knew something of the work of the shepherd, of tending a flock. He knew, for instance, how to use a sling to drive off predators to protect the flock. He is the shepherd boy who becomes the shepherd of Israel. And for all that David will later falter and stumble, the people love him in his earthiness. Though they might claim for themselves this shepherd king identity, those who follow David, including his own son Solomon, are detached from the earthy work of actually tending a flock. In the book of the prophet Ezekiel, the imagery is used to critique the kings for their detachment. So Ezekiel writes, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, you shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. 
but with force and harshness you have ruled them. To be truly a shepherd king, in other words, has about it a kind of a day-in, day-out concern for the well-being of the whole flock, especially the weak, the injured, the hungry, the strayed, the lost. And so, Ezekiel continues, I myself will be shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. Now it's not the king, but God who is the shepherd. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Who then is the true shepherd, biblically? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All of the imagery of Psalm 23, the green pastures and the still waters, but also the valley of the shadow of death, and being kept safe in the presence of my enemies, all of it connects with Ezekiel's critique of the kings. It holds up another standard, another vision, an alternative way. And even David would falter and fall in his calling to be that kind of shepherd king. The setting of Jesus' words in this evening's gospel reading is notable. It is, John says, the time of the festival of the dedication. And Jesus is in the Jerusalem temple, in the portico of Solomon, one of the kings. Now, the festival of dedication is more commonly known as Hanukkah. And it is a festival commemorating the rededication of the temple after the Maccabean rebels had thrown off the occupying Seleucid Empire and reclaimed Jerusalem. Now, given how familiar the people would have been with shepherd imagery, and given that this was on a feast day celebrating not only the rededication of the temple, but the reestablishment of a royal household in Jerusalem, as soon as Jesus begins to speak in terms of, my sheep hear my voice, his sheep follow him, as soon as Jesus uses that kind of language, all kinds of lights must have begun to go on for the people who heard him speak. As John describes it, some of the people gathered round him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. If you are the anointed, the promised one, who has been sent here to free us, speak out. Or, or maybe, maybe for at least some of them, if that's the claim you're making, if that's what you're saying about who you are and who your movement is, say it clearly because the Roman overlords will be very, very interested in such matters. It is in response to that request for clarity that Jesus speaks of sheep, sheep who no one will snatch out of my hand. Ah, so that is the claim, is it? For some listening, that would have sounded like a bit of saber-rattling, another Judas Maccabeus, or better, a messianic king here to throw off the Romans and to establish the kingdom, a son of David. Yet, as N.T. Wright comments, 
what Jesus says here and earlier in John's Gospel about the shepherd's role and task is so unlike the Maccabean pattern that it becomes almost incomprehensible. Kingdoms without justice, said Augustine, are simply regimes of brigands. Jesus goes further. Kingdoms based on anything less than self-giving love are brigandish distortions of the real thing. Jesus' sheep, Bishop Wright adds, Jesus' sheep are therefore those who hear and receive his message of a different kingdom, both then and now. To be a part of this shepherd's flock is to embrace that alternative vision, that alternative way that is rooted in self-giving love and in servanthood. Now certainly some who stood and listened as he taught would have caught at least a glimmer, at least a glimmer of what he was talking about though it wasn't until they stood in the resurrection light and under the power and presence of the Spirit that they'd really be able to grasp the claim that he was placing upon them. Others, they didn't see, not at all. To those who asked that question, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are Messiah, tell us plainly. He answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. I have told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. You do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. Now, at first glance, that might sound like you're outsiders, not part of my flock. Sorry, folks, but you're lost. But maybe, maybe it means something more like you're lost, but only until you've been found. After all, in that resurrection light, this flock grew like mad with all sorts and conditions of sheep incorporated, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, merchant, beggar, Pharisee, jailer, old and young, all of them bound up, strengthened, fed and found by a shepherd willing to go into the depths and muck of death itself for the sake of even the most lost of the sheep, me and you and all of us. Alleluia, will be fed and will be found. Amen. You might recognize that line, actually. We'll all be fed and we'll be found from Jenny Moore's song. It's the one song we are going to depart from the hymnody for tonight. And uh, I'd invite you to stand and sing it out because we shall be fed and found.
you've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.